0: Hi, this is Chris Campbell, and welcome to the Food Institute podcast. Today, we will be speaking with Robin Carter, CEO of Jump Rope Innovation, with a focus on what CPG and food retail companies can do to increase their share of plate with back to school and the holiday season fast approaching. But first, whether you are a first-time listener or becoming something of a regular, we ask that you share this episode on your social media platforms and with your friends and family. It really helps us expand our reach, and we appreciate it when you do so. So with that said, I'll introduce Robin and ask how she's doing today. So how are you, Robin?
1: Hey, Chris. Uh, Well, first first of all, thanks so much for having me. Um, I'm doing great. Thank you. Um, we're, We're getting ready for back to school here, just making sure we're all stocked up and ready to go as our kids start back later this week.
0: And like I said earlier in a call that we had before the uh, podcast, it does really feel like fall is approaching here in New Jersey on September 1st. The weather is cooling down. The summer seems to be uh, fading away, but it's anything but normal this year with COVID-19. But before we get into that, I'd like to get a little bit more background about you and also Jump Rope Innovation. So could you share a few details uh, regarding your history, your experience, and also Jump Rope Innovation?
1: Sure. Uh, I'm Robin Carter, and I'm the founder and CEO of Jump Rope Innovation. We're a trends and innovation company consultancy. So what that means is we help clients to understand consumer and category trends and to put those things together in service of smart innovation. I started Jump Rope about 15 years ago after my son was born. And I've always been kind of an entrepreneur at heart, but uh, where I came from was really from the world of advertising. And I was at Ogilvy working on the global Maxwell House business before I left to start Jump Rope. I spent most of my career working on packaged goods, which I really love, um, although we have clients in other industries, of course. There's always a special place in my heart for packaged goods um, because I think about packaged goods as the real things that people use to help them to care for their families, to feed their families, and to care for themselves every day. And when I think about brands and about packaged goods brands, I think about those brands as serving real people. And, and in my job now and in what we do at Jump Rope, we help to bring those real people and their real needs and goals to life for our clients so that together we can figure out how best to meet those needs.
0: Excellent. I think that's going to make you well-situated to kind of discuss this topic that I alluded to earlier. And i I'd like to broadly cut our conversation into two halves today, and I'm going to start with one premise, and that is that virtual learning is going to be an important aspect of US uh, US culture in the next six to 12 months. So I'm wondering if you have any insight into what a CPG company can do to make products and kind of win over those in the back-to-school crowd.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So this is a great question and something we started working to understand and, and anticipate back in April when it became apparent that this pandemic was going to be with us for some time. So there are three main things. And I think the first uh, may not surprise you, but the first is to create and offer products that will help consumers to prepare healthy, family-pleasing meals simply, right? That's always the the goal, but I think it's it's going to be more important than ever that these things are healthy, family-pleasing, and simple, you know, the, the trifecta there. Um, I think it's important that they, the products still involve some real cooking because we heard echoed in our work with moms and with influencers, um, you know, throughout the pandemic that preparing food for their families was a really important way that they could care for their families during this time. So it's not that they want something that's pre-made and they can just put on the table. They still want some involvement there, but there's going to have to be, um, you know, uh, simple solutions, uh, you know, for for helping moms and families to get. Um, you know, to get meals on the table quickly and easily during such a busy time. Um, The second thing that CPG companies can be doing is creating products that kids can make for themselves or serve for themselves with minimal to no supervision and with minimal mess. Um, And I think, again, these products have to be reasonably healthy because we're in this for the long haul. So it's, it's, you know, treats will still be quite important, but it's not like in the early days of lockdown where for many it was, you know, sort of all comfort food all the time. Um, you know, I think we're looking to um, maintain some sort of balance as we move forward here. And when it comes to sweets and treats, I think portion control packs will help um, and will also help to make sure that all the treats aren't eaten up the first day that the kids are home and mom and dad are in calls or on meetings, um, simply because uh, we're not running back to the store. We don't see consumers going back to the store as often as they were going before. Um, I think people are also going to be very conscious about how they're spending their their dollars. And so um, some portion control would, would help there as well. I think that the third thing that CPG companies can be doing is really leveraging ingredients that help to boost immunity. And I think these sorts of claims and these kinds of ingredients are going to be really desirable, particularly as we head back into cold and flu season on top of everything else.
0: So I'd like to take a more in-depth look at some of these uh, topics that you just brought up. And I'd like to start off with a dichotomy I noticed. And it seems that there is a need for both products that kids can make themselves, whether that's snacks or meals, but also a focus on parents wanting to provide a healthy meal for their kids, uh, especially during the school day. So I was wondering if you could give us a little bit more insight into what companies could do to either focus on one of these two silos or to kind of get their feet in the water for both of these uh, different items.
1: Yeah. I mean, absolutely. I think, you know, First of all, the age of the kid will help dictate how much, you know, how involved they can be in preparing their own meals. Um, I do think that um, that we're seeing an increased interest um, among kids in cooking as an activity. Um, we're seeing it in social media on TikTok, for example, with the Dalgona coffee and the mug cakes and the mini pancake cereal that tweens and teens were making and posting throughout the pandemic. So there is some sense that kids want to be doing some of this stuff, not just because they have to, but because it's fun and interesting. Um, but by the same token, I think, you know, we think about the different day parts, you know, dinner is something that the family, um, you know, may be eating together, that parents are used to having to prepare for the family. And I think they that parents continue to want and moms continue to want more involvement there. But lunch, which comes in the middle of the day and which parents aren't necessarily used to having... Having to prepare something for, you know, in that moment, um, you know, serves as an opportunity for kids to be able to do something for themselves or for parents to be looking for some more, you know, pre-prepared solutions or, or things that are sort of easy for the kids to serve themselves when the parents might be in the middle of a busy work day.
0: So it does seem like there's definitely some room for diversification among your product lines if you are a CPG company here. Uh, Something to keep in mind. But another thing I'd like to touch upon there is uh, health claims. And I'm wondering if you have any types of products that you think are going to be really popular as the year moves on, especially with the flu season back to school and obviously COVID-19 still being a threat, all these different factors coming together. What kind of products do you think consumers are going to be looking for, uh, especially with those health benefits?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, So when we talk about health claims, and things that, that consumers are doing for themselves to enhance their to enhance their health. We often look at it as in me on me around me. Um, and that's sort of the, the prioritization in the minds of consumers oftentimes. And so, you know, when we talk about in me, consumers are going to be looking for products that help them to proactively, manage their health, to um, boost their immunity, their immune systems, to help their family, you know, in that same in that same regard. So I think products that offer immune support are going to be really important. Um, the idea of providing protection from the inside in addition to external measures like hand washing and sanitizing and mask wearing is going to become a lot more salient. And you know, and that sort of feeds into a trend that we've seen over the last few years of consumers being proactive, you know, taking their health into their own hands and, you know, looking to foods and beverages to help preserve the good health that they're, that they're enjoying today. You know, there's a desire to not kind of become part of the system and to not need to rely on medication or doctor's visits. Um, you know, to treat medical conditions, but instead to, you know, use food and beverages to kind of um, stave off some of those conditions and to preserve your good health. And I think we're going to be seeing consumers more motivated than ever to do what they can to preserve their own and their family's health. Um, And so we'll see a lot of interest in immune boosters, you know, really the tried and true products, citrus for vitamin C, elderberry, zinc, vitamin D, um, honey, prebiotics and probiotics as well. You know, but when we're talking about health, I also want to make sure that we're thinking about the other version of health, which is mental health. Um, and I think consumers are going to be looking for more everyday products or ingredients um, in food and beverages, sweets and treats uh, that can help them to manage their mental health, that can help them to manage the stress and anxiety that many will be feeling, have been feeling and will be feeling even more you know, as they're sending their kids back to school. Um, you know, we are seeing adaptogens up and coming. And while adaptogens aren't well understood by the majority of consumers yet, um, their ability to address stress and, and to help maintain balance um, will become better known.
0: So I'm a little bit unfamiliar with adaptogens, to be completely honest. So I was wondering if you could give a little bit of a background on what kind of products you could find these, uh, this substance in.
1: Sure. So adaptogens um, are naturally active Properties that are in um, things like mushrooms and are often found now in um, in supplements or in chocolate or in um, beverages that, um, that help that are designed to help consumers to come to a homeostasis. So to find some balance. So if they are already feeling anxious, um, the products will help them to kind of come down to their normal. Uh, level of of emotion. If they're feeling sort of down, the product will help them to naturally come up to their normal level of emotion once again. So I think it's a natural product. It's a natural property um, that's been used for many years in many cultures um, for that purpose. And I think consumers are looking for these kinds of natural time-tested solutions, um, sort of ancient wisdom to help them to feel good and navigate these times and to regulate their emotions without having to go the medical route.
0: And I agree with you there. And I think it really does tick a lot of boxes that consumers were looking for even before the pandemic. And then obviously with COVID-19 kind of accelerated this trend towards healthier products and natural products. But something that I think wasn't entirely evident when the coronavirus pandemic first started was these increased opportunities for families to get together and eat dinner. And you kind of alluded to this earlier. So I'd like to know what your thoughts are and what CPG companies can do best uh, leverage this trend really and try to make sure that their products are the ones that are getting involved in that dinner time. Uh, you know, plate share there.
1: Yeah. So that was really interesting learning for us Um, as we were talking with, with moms and with teens, both teen boys and teen girls during the pandemic, we heard echoed the same sentiment, which is that everybody really enjoys sitting down at the table together to have a family meal. And, you know, I, I was sort of surprised even as the mom of teens, just how meaningful that was to, you know, to the parents and to the kids alike. Um, that time together, because, you know, so much of the time, you know, we were previously running back and forth from school to practice to work, and the families eating staggered and not sitting down at the table together. So this idea of a shared family meal um, became really important and meaningful. And even, you know, we had teenage boys telling us that they hope that this continued, you know, past the time of the pandemic. So, you know, that was really kind of meaningful, and I think something to take to heart. Um, So I think a way that brands can, that can help here is by providing a base that can please everyone and that can allow for customization as needed. So, so many households are dealing with, you know, different um, dietary needs, whether it's allergies or, you know, particularly younger people who are choosing to be more plant forward, maybe not consume animal products or, you know, making other dietary choices or even just have different preferences. So, something that a CPG company could do is to provide some sort of meal starter um, that then allows for some level of customization so that everybody can eat together but still have something that, you know, that they that they want and need.
0: And I think the other half of that aspect, too, is probably a focus on value. And I think consumers were mostly concerned about value even before COVID-19, but that kind of changed, especially with the economic impact that's connected to it. Um, and I also think that it extends just beyond price. So obviously, you we're seeing a lot of CPG companies putting out value packs. Uh, but something you alluded to earlier was, you know, teens being able to cook and use TikTok and have an experience surrounding their food. And I was just wondering if you have any insight into what CPG companies could do to kind of create these sorts of experience that transcend beyond uh, price and give a lot of extra value to their brand and the products that they're making
1: so you 're exactly right about value not being just about price it's really about being worth it and so how can a CPG company um, show consumers that their products are, are really worth it that they're you know creating some sort of um, experience connected to the product. And I think, you know, looking at building more experiential components into product offerings is a long-term trend that we've really been following for years. Um, and it's one way that consumers can feel that, it, that an item is sort of worth paying more for or worth paying for versus, versus another. And there are a few ways in here. And one is by providing something interactive. So increasing engagement with the product, providing um an opportunity for the family to connect around an experience you know that has the product at its center turning something transactional into something that's more of an activity another way that that cpg companies can leverage this is by telling a story with the product or using the product to bring a feeling or a place to life, um, you know, turning food into an opportunity to explore and experience something new. So, we're going to be so restricted, you know, for a while from travel and from other in person experiences. And food's role as a proxy for travel, you know, is really valuable and can be more important than ever. And at the same time, food's role as Sort of a bridge to something nostalgic can can also serve that purpose. So how can you cre- recreate a nostalgic experience, the taste of childhood, the taste of home, the taste of a summer on the boardwalk for um, for consumers? So I think food can really play an important role here, um, you know, in adding value through through experiences, through creating experiences. And then finally, I think there is something you know about prolonging an enjoyable experience or prolonging a shared experience that um, incorporates. Um, the, the tangible experience with the product to an online experience. So, you know, can I have something that looks so cool that when I open it, I want to do a video of that. I want to share that on TikTok. I want to do something with the product, you know, as I'm experiencing it that, um, you know, prolongs my enjoyment that, um, you know, maybe I can do something special to it and then post it online. And then maybe the brand's going to share it in their social, you know, on their social channels. So, you know, providing these sort of real world experiences that, um, sort of jump over into the online world, I think, is another way that that brands can add value here.
0: Like I said earlier, I was going to cut the conversation into two halves, and I'd like to focus on the retail aspect of this now. And I think a good way to jump into it would be how can retailers uh, leverage these CPG companies creating these experiences, and is there any way for them to create their own going forward?
1: So I think retailers can work together with CPG brands to find ways to encourage discovery and trial. So we know the consumers are spending less time in the store. They're trying to be really efficient in their, you know, in the time that they spend in the store, they're not spending as much time exploring as they might have before. So is there a way to anchor a new experience to something that they already know and love um, so that it feels like sort of a safe purchase, a low risk purchase, but something that adds some value in that regard, Brings something new, gives them an opportunity to try something new. And by the same token, I think, you know, retailers and CPG brands are running up against the same challenge with online shopping where consumers have a basket made. It's easy to kind of click and keep putting the same items into your basket. Maybe there's not as much opportunity to explore and to find new things, you know, as you might have had in the store before. So I think that's you know that's sort of another way that retailers and CPG companies can can work together to encourage discovery and trial is by thinking about the online opportunities to um, introduce consumers to new products. Even, you know, in the delivery, is there an opportunity to, um, you know, if you, if you order product online, is there an opportunity to um, introduce consumers to something new via sampling or a coupon or something else that goes in the, you know, in the bag as the products are being delivered?
0: And I agree with that. Um, I think one of the things that we're starting to see as, you know, we're in month. What I guess we're about six months into this pandemic is obviously that online shopping is incredibly important, and I think you know living in New Jersey, it was something that was already starting to become part of uh, you know daily life. But I think a lot of the country was getting their first introduction to online shopping, and especially on the grocery sphere. So I'm kind of wondering, you know, do you think that retailers are only going to focus on this this delivery and pickup aspect, or do you think as the months go on, they're going to figure out things? Uh, I think an example and point here would be Walmart setting up these giant outdoor movie experiences in their parking lots. Do you see other food retailers finding ways to kind of create these experiences or do you think they're going to stick directly to, or, you know, get your shopper in and out as quickly as possible, lower the risk, um, you know, and provide that service until, you know, things go back to a new normal.
1: Yeah, no, I think for sure retailers are going to find ways to encourage people to come back to the store and, you know, we're limited in our experiences. Going to the store is something people, you know, enjoy especially at a time when there isn't so much necessarily to do. So I think that people want to feel like they can go back to the store and they want that to be a positive experience for them. I think retailers um, will have to think hard about ways to ensure safety, but also to provide a fun experience. So so there are ways to address things that feel like, okay, we're taking it seriously, but we're kind of able to laugh at ourselves a bit. So you know, I think they're going to look for ways to do safer, you know, in-store sampling, um, you know, to create a balance between safety issues and a positive, welcoming, even fun environment. I think, you know, retailers probably can't wait to welcome people back to the store. And I think consumers are interested in coming back to the store as well, you know, as long as they can do it in a way that feels sort of safe and, and not scary. You know I think also from a merchandising perspective, there's an opportunity to you know bundle products in a way that allows consumers to explore and experience new things, you know simply to kind of grab and go and try something new as as they're going through the store. So I think that's another opportunity. But I do think that the online world and the world of um, you know click and carry or or you know click, click and then pick something up at the store is going to be um, is going to be really meaningful. We already were seeing that. Um, as something that was growing fast before, you know, before all the lockdowns. So I think, you know, those opportunities are not going to um, go away. They're going to be part of the way that consumers shop for groceries moving forward.
0: And another thing that started this year was definitely that stockpiling effect, especially earlier in the year. Do you imagine that's going to come back this fall? Um, And do you think it's something that people will kind of hold on to even after the pandemic has eased? And do you think it'll be kind of a behavior that sticks with them for life? Not willing to be, you know, left without one of their favorite products and just having a bunch on hand?
1: The short answer is that I think some stockpiling is going to come back. You know, I think what's been formed in the past few months is sort of a a pandemic era mentality. The way that you may have heard someone say that an older person has a depression era Mentality where they don't want to waste anything. You know, this pandemic era mentality means that we're not going to want to be without. So consumers are not going to want to be without necessities. You know, that said, um, I don't think we're going to see the stockpiling that we saw. You know, at those unprecedented levels early in the pandemic. You know, there's a difference between stockpiling based on panic. You know, as we saw early on, and stockpiling for just in case. And I think it's the latter that's really going to prevail in the future. Um, you know, and I think it's also facilitated by the fact that people have limited storage space. You know, we're not all preparing for uh, kind of Armageddon, you know, by stocking our, our basements with product. And I, and I think, you know, consumers want to be reasonably prepared, but I don't think there's going to be sort of a, a panic run on, on product. I think what could change that is um, if the shelves are empty, if there's visible disruption to the supply chain such that people get nervous that they won't be able to get anything. Um, I think that could kind of push us back in that direction. But barring that, you know, I think that um, consumers are going to want to have that extra backup of whatever the necessities are on hand. And and for CPG manufacturers, I think it's a good indicator that things like um, concentrates could be helpful to consumers. So they have a lot of something on hand, even if they don't have a lot of space. Um, I also think that consumers are going to be balancing, you know, their their income, what they have to spend on these products with with the desire to have, you know, extra sort of on hand. You know, we know that we're emerging into um, you know a really challenging economy and that that's only going to continue to get worse for a while so i think you know people aren't going to have the means necessarily even if they want to to stock up completely on everything that they might want to have on hand but they are going to want to make sure that they have those essentials
0: and i'd like to actually jump back to something that you brought up in the question before this um, i'm thinking about the merchandise merchandising efforts that you brought up earlier that retailers could engage in and i was wondering if you could just give a little more detail on what you meant uh, meant by that and I'm wondering, is that like meal kits, you know, food packages? What can these retailers be doing in the current moment to kind of leverage these uh, these product types that consumers are more familiar with in a delivery fashion?
1: Yeah, so retailers can play an important role. Um, you know, in terms of leading with more consumer friendly options like meal kits that maybe combine fresh and shelf stable components, um, which they're in a particularly good position to do, you know, meal kits that allow for some versatility. So I can make X number of different meals with just this one kit. Something like that I think would be interesting to people. Um, you know, kits that have enough for, Dinner and maybe lunch leftovers can help as well. But I think once again, these things need to really demonstrate value. So um, you know, it's not necessarily about price; it's about utility or value, as we described it in other ways. So I think you know, um, merchandising efforts that um, that focus on solutions that can provide good value for the family um, will be really interesting and compelling to consumers.
0: And I just have one last question. It's going to be a little bit more forward looking. But as I said earlier, you know we're taking a look at the fall season and winter's right behind it, obviously. So with Halloween, Thanksgiving, and then the winter holidays all coming up pretty quickly, what can retailers and CPG companies do to kind of drive sales during this incredibly, incredibly important time of the year?
1: Yeah, I love this question. Um, This is something we've talked a lot about internally here. You know, retailers can really take the lead in showing consumers new ways to engage in these seasons. So, for example, Halloween. You know, we're anticipating more small group gatherings, um, trunk or treats with just small friend groups, versus you know canvassing the neighborhood, trick or treating as as my kids tend to do. Um, you know, more booing where you're leaving a package of goods, a package of candy, um, on your friend's doorstep, and then you know sort of ringing and running things like that that involve less interaction, um, especially less interaction like in the community, and maybe more interaction with just your close group of of friends and and family. And so I think, you know, if 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 um, retailers can anticipate these trends and how people are going to behave, they can better prepare for these different new for this new kind of reality. Um, I also think that that one thing that retailers can be doing is looking to you know, to trends and to social media influencers to understand how are they gearing up, you know, for the season. And so what what kinds of solutions can we provide be providing for the way that, um, that it seems people are going to be celebrating these holidays? Um, I, I think also, you know, nostalgia is going to be a really important thing here, a really important piece of the holiday season, um, you know, whether or not people can be together with close friends and family. So I think we're going to see more adult interaction in Halloween, so ways to... Um, you know, bring the adults in on the fun for Halloween is going to be really important. Um, And also we're going to see more sort of online um, experiences for these holidays. So, you know, what are ways that um, CPG companies or retailers can help people to share in this season virtually? Or how can, you know, if you're having a Zoom Thanksgiving with extended family members instead of everyone close together, can everyone be having a shared experience um, but just having it through Zoom? So I think looking for ways to you know, build out sort of the online um, experience in these holidays will be important as well.
0: And yeah, I think it's going to be very interesting to see how this tracks over the next couple of months. Um, But I do think that's a good place to wrap it up for today. And I think we'll finish up with this week's episode of the Food Institute podcast. And once again, I'd like to thank Robin for her time today. And Robin, where can our listeners go to learn more about you and Jump Rope Innovation?
1: All right. So Chris, thank you so much for your time today. And listeners can find us at jumpropeinnovation.com. Um, Or they can look for me, Robin Carter, on LinkedIn.
0: And we'll definitely share the relevant links in the description of this episode. So like I said, that wraps it up for this week's edition of the Food Institute podcast. If you're new to the podcast, please follow, like, and share. If you'd like to learn more about the Food Institute, please take a look at the links in our description to learn more about us and what membership can do for you and your company. So until next time, this is Chris Campbell signing off.